Hello, welcome to this Alan and Avery podcast on sustainability linked fund financing. My name is Greg Brown. I'm the co-head of ANO's fund finance practice. In this podcast, I'm joined by Joanna Pesnick from our Luxembourg Funds team to talk about sustainability linked fund financing. What is it? What are the main EU regulatory drivers? And what are the key issues that fund managers and lenders may need to consider when you're thinking about putting one of these loans in place? Now, we've broken this session down into five key questions. So let's get started. So the first question is for you, Greg. Can you start by explaining what we mean by sustainability-linked lending in the context of fund finance? So sustainability-linked loans are loans made to funds that have sustainability-linked performance targets included in the loan agreement. What this means is that performance by the fund borrower against objective, external, environmental, social, or governance-linked metrics, so for example, um, carbon emissions reductions or hitting certain recycling targets, triggers a specified outcome or outcomes for the borrower under the loan, most commonly some form of margin adjustment. Now, sustainability-linked loans are different from green loans because green loans are loans where the use of the proceeds themselves is restricted to specified environmental or other green projects. So it's a loan that's drawn for a a particular sort of environmental purpose. Now, both green and sustainability-linked loans have certain things in common, which is that they're both structured to encourage sort of sustainable and generally socially worthy behaviour. But while green loans do this by requiring that the loan proceeds are used for a particular purpose, Sustainability-linked loans do not have any restriction on the use of funds. What they do is that they include these, this set of sustainability-linked metrics that feed into the pricing of the loan. Now, those metrics can be set at the fund, at the asset or the portfolio level, and therefore they're a very flexible uh, and sort of achievable way for a wide range of fund borrowers to access sustainable financing. You don't need an underlying green investment to put one of these loans in place. It can be an ordinary course financing that has this feature built into it. And what that means is that the the adoption of these types of loans in the fund finance market has grown very quickly over the last couple of years. And indeed, not just the fund finance market, across the the kind of loans, uh, loans market more generally. Now, the rise of these loans in the fund finance market mirrors the increasing focus and the public pressure on participants in financial markets, from banks to fund managers to investors, to positively affect climate change, especially in light of, of COP26. Now, as well as demand by investors for change, there's also new regulation that's been introduced in Europe, which sets ambitious targets in trying to reorientate private capital towards more sustainable investments. Which leads us neatly onto our next question, which is for you, Joanna. Can you explain what are the key regulatory drivers here in the EU towards sustainability-linked financing that investors and fund managers need to be aware of? Besides purely commercial and repetitional incentive for borrowers, there is a growing focus on ESG in the fund finance space due to the regulatory landscape in the EU, and more particularly in the context of the European Commission's action plan on sustainability finance. The most relevant EU regulation in this context is the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, also called the SFDR, which came into effect in March 2021. The SFDR has imposed transparency and disclosure requirement on the so-called financial market participants, such as banks, insurance companies, pension funds, and investment firms and asset manager, both at entity and product level. The purpose of such requirement is to inform investors as to how such financial market participants implement ESG consideration and more particularly how they intend to integrate sustainability risk and adverse sustainability impact in their investment processes 
and how sustainability-related information with respect to such financial products will be provided to such investors, including through periodic reporting. In parallel of SFDR, the EU taxonomy regulation has also entered into force in early 2020. The taxonomy regulation provides for a classification framework which helps delineating what constitutes an environmentally sustainable financial product, in other words, to define what's green and what's not. And it has also set out criteria that needs to be met in order for a financial product to qualify as environmentally sustainable. The taxonomy regulation has been supplemented by delegated acts containing detailed technical screenings criteria for determining when an economic activity can be considered as sustainable and therefore taxonomy aligned. Last but not least, the low carbon benchmark regulation has recently amended the benchmark regulation, which contains uniform rules for low carbon benchmarks and positive carbon impact benchmarks in the EU by introducing two new types of climate benchmark, the EU climate transition benchmark and the EU Paris aligned benchmark. Those benchmarks applies to the provision of benchmarks, the contribution of input data to a benchmark and the use of benchmark within the EU, that the latter being of specific interest for asset managers. Now, how those rules translate in the context of ESG-linked fund financing, whether the ESG-linked facilities are use of proceeds facilities, which will require that all investment funded through a loan proceeds meet specific sustainability criteria, or performance-based facilities in which the borrower's performance will be measured against certain sustainability criteria, the KPIs or key performance indicators will be key and of particular relevance. The KPIs should be set out from inception upon implementation of the facilities. Typically, in an ESG-linked fund financing, such KPIs and objectives will be aligned with the ESG and SFDR policies and objectives of the fund manager that the fund has implemented in accordance with SFDR and the taxonomy regulations. Such KPIs and objectives will also need to be assessed and reported periodically to investors in order to ensure compliance. And again, fund managers should piggyback on the ESG disclosure and reporting obligation they have in place. That brings us to the documentation. Greg, what are some of the key issues that fund managers and their lenders need to consider when agreeing terms to document a sustainability-linked fund financing? Right. So before we look at the detail, it's important to remember that this is still a relatively new product, which is not yet uh, highly regulated. So there are no strict rules as such as to how sustainability metrics should be applied um, in loans or in loan documentation. Now, the LMA has issued various guidance um, together with the LSTA, um, and these, these include the sustainability-linked loan principles and also the green loan principles, much of which uh, actually follows developments in the bond market as well. Um, but actually, much of the detail does actually remain up to the parties on, on a given transaction to kind of decide for themselves. Now, that can be a good thing because it allows people to be flexible, it encourages creativity as to how they're applied to a particular borrower, but it does also have the potential to create a sort of lack of consistency and sometimes a sort of bit, a bit of uncertainty as to how things like reporting standards and targets should be applied. So 
against this backdrop, the first point for a fund borrower to think about is what actually are the performance targets, the sustainability performance targets or SPTs uh, that they should be measuring. Now, these targets, these SPTs are at the heart of any sustainability-linked financing. They're normally unique for each loan, and these need to be discussed and considered in the context of funds, overall sort of business and, and operations. Now, normally the SPTs need to come from the fund um, and not sort of be dictated by the lender, because really it is the underlying investment strategy of the fund and what, what targets they themselves are seeking to implement within its business that are going to be key to the discussion here. Very often these targets will be environmental. So as, as I mentioned before, things like reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, energy consumption targets, water quality targets, biodiversity targets are very, you know, are very popular. But it's important to remember, it, you know, ESG isn't just all about the, the E. There are also sort of, um, uh, you know, non-environmental targets that get measured in loans as well. So again, to give a few examples, the number of uh, female senior managers, focus on staff training, reducing internal food waste, or, or you know, payments of, of the London living wage, for example. You know, as, as you can tell, there's a lot of scope for flexibility depending on, on a particular fund's own priorities. Now, it is important that the targets are meant to be ambitious, they're meant to be meaningful, and they're meant to be a genuine stretch for the borrower. So the guidance from the LMA in their sustainability linked loan principles states that the SPTs should represent a material improvement in the respective KPIs and be beyond just a business as usual trajectory. Now, sometimes this is achieved by the parties providing for incremental increases in targets over time, rather than just setting them at a, at a constant level that, that applies for the life of the loan. And obviously, this will depend on the expected duration of the financing and other features like that. You know, how long, how long are these targets going to be in place for? Now, I think the unique challenge for fund financing is how you, you set and decide on appropriate and properly challenging KPIs and sustainability performance targets at a portfolio level for financing, which is often put in place very early in the life of a fund. So perhaps at a stage where they've made few or no investments at all. So effectively, when you've just got your, your fund vehicle, how do you work out what those targets should be? And what can be helpful is, you know, previous fund performance on similar metrics can, can inform the process. But we are often seeing parties seek sort of flexibility in the documentation to kind of review the KPIs and perhaps amend them as time goes on. So, for example, you might include a requirement to review the KPIs every 12 months just to make sure that they do remain sufficiently appropriate and sufficiently challenging. And perhaps for those KPIs to be amended if, you know, if the relevant lenders consider the targets are no longer relevant or, or the, the science behind them has changed or you know, something else means that they're just no longer quite fit for purpose. Sometimes the flexibility the parties look for is an ability for either, either the borrower or the, or the lenders to bring the parties back to the table just to discuss those certain KPIs if they feel that they're just no longer appropriate. Maybe with a right to then sort of switch off that KPI if agreement cannot be reached on any necessary amendments. So, in this context, what you can see is it's very important for the funds to be clear about what is being measured. They need to be part of that conversation. They don't want their lenders sort of dictating to them what, what they think is appropriate or not. It is very important to consider whether those KPIs should be assessed on a portfolio basis, looking across all of the investments of the fund, the fund level itself, or sometimes on an individual investment by investment basis. And again, that's going to depend on the choice of the targets and the choice of the KPIs. What this brings us on to, actually, is to consider the reporting and the verification obligations of the fund in the documentation, because clearly these, these sustainability targets are only as meaningful as the quality of the reporting that is actually made against them. 
the question on reporting is really whether the reports produced by the fund itself are going to be sufficient evidence for the finance parties to measure the, the SPTs, whether there needs to be some sort of audit of that internal reporting, or does there need to be some sort of you know, active third-party engagement to provide an independent report? And there's going to be a number of factors that feed into that discussion. I mean, clearly, whether the fund itself has an existing reporting process or an existing sort of ESG framework that it reports against, what are the type of the underlying investments? You know, are they inherently things where where these sorts of targets are sort of captured and measured? And probably some sort of cost-benefit analysis as to, you know, the, the value of, of a further report. The type of KPI is also an important factor in working out what sort of a reporting is appropriate, because you can see that targets such as, say, increase the number of female senior managers are relatively easy for a borrower to, to sort of certify and provide evidence for, whereas a more technical environmental target, such as a you know, greenhouse gas emission, will almost certainly require a degree of external uh, validation. So for this reason, we do sometimes see a mix of sort of external verification or validation and, and sometimes some self-certification as well, depending on the, very much depending on the targets for the set. However, it is important to note that the, the LMA principles on this and the related guidance notes do provide very strong recommendation that there should be some form of independent and external verification of the borrower's performance against KPIs at least once a year. And I think most banks do have some sort of expectation that that, is, um, you know, that needs to be part of the package. Another key point for both sides to consider is, is what are the margin adjustments or incentives that you're building into the loan to hit these targets? It's probably fair to say that margin adjustments tended to start out just as a sort of a one-way simple discount, so that when the fund hits the relevant targets or enough of the targets, they get the benefit of a slight reduction in their margin. I think it's fair to say now that we tend to see margin adjustments most common uh, include as ratchet and on a two-way basis, so that if they, again, if they meet their targets, they'll get a discount, but if they don't meet the targets, the margin will, will normally increase. These changes are not normally substantial in terms of the quantum of the pricing. You know, it's, it's not the sort of thing that, you know, really blows the pricing one way or the other. But, but nonetheless, you know, it obviously has a real economic impact on, on the parties. And I think recently you sometimes see a discussion around what should happen to the pricing if, if the borrower lender gain, you know, gain as a result of a target being hit or, or not hit. You know, should it, should, is it right that the lender gets the benefits of, uh, of an uplift in margin? You know, sometimes you have a discussion about whether these these sort of savings should should go to a charity, for example. I mean, that's relatively unusual, but it's been important to note that sometimes people think about that that aspect of it as well. And then related to the discussion on sort of the pricing consequences is is what happens if the fund does fail to meet the targets or or, or simply fails to deliver the relevant reports. I think it's fair to say that the standard position we almost always see is that the failure to hit the target or the failure to provide a report does not trigger an event of default. You know, it doesn't give, give rise to an actual breach of the, of the contract. What, what it does normally just mean is it has a pricing consequence. So that the failure to uh, you know, hit the target or deliver the report impacts on, on, on the margin premium or, or gets rid of the, the margin discount that would otherwise apply. The consequences don't normally go further than that. You know, so it's important to note that a fund borrower would not normally be able to actually place itself in default under its financing arrangements for failing to hit one of these targets. And then I think the last point just to note is, is to look briefly at the role of the lender who may undertake what's called the sustainability coordinator role on a deal, which I think is getting more attention on documentation now, as I think lenders are increasingly aware of the potential liability, perhaps, that goes with this role, whether it's sort of legal or reputational. Uh, and, and an obvious concern is, is a lender who does help structure these targets and works with a, with a borrower to, to, to set out a set of SPTs for, for a given loan. 
if it subsequently becomes revealed that perhaps that underlying information was flawed or manipulated in some way, you know, query if the sustainability coordinator is sort of in, in the firing line for criticism or action around that. And I think as a consequence, it's fair to say that it's much more standard now for documentary protection to be included for the sustainability coordinator in the loan agreement in a similar way that you would see, for example, for an arranger or someone else with a role under a loan. Speaking of lenders' protection, greenwashing is obviously very topical in the market at the moment, given some of the recent and ongoing investigation by regulators into potential prospectus fraud and misleading statements made by fund managers in relation to their green credentials. Greenwashing is described in the EU taxonomy regulation as the practice of gaining an unfair competitive advantage by marketing a financial product as environmentally friendly, when in fact, basic environmental standards have not been met. But the term can be also used in a more generic sense to suggest that a product or service has or is provided by a firm that has a certain ESG credential when it doesn't. So Greg, do you have any thought on how parties in sustainability linked financing can look to protect themselves from accusations of greenwashing? So yes, so there are some strategies that parties can have in mind to help avoid suggestions of greenwashing. So I think some things to think about are obviously you make your KPIs clear and easy to understand, make sure they are specific, you know, specific units of measurements and if available and appropriate, with you know third-party certifications or endorsements, and they should be credible third parties, you know either proper sustainability advisors or auditors of some kind. So, a statement of the obvious, but those KPIs need to be proper KPIs, credible KPIs. The second point is related to that really, which is obviously the the reporting that goes around that needs to be transparent and very accurate. Um, this needs to be set out clearly in the documentation, again, ideally with agreed data and metrics to back it up, and that needs to be complied with by the parties. So again, so you're comfortable you're getting fair and meaningful measurement against each SPTs. You don't want to leave scope for a concern about whether these, these are being gained in any way. Now, the targets that are, that are set need to be realistic and ambitious. You don't just want to be pay, paying lip service to the idea of a sustainability-linked financing. You do need to be setting a goal that you can show has some sort of positive impact and that the loan is helping to incentivize or steer the borrower's business in meeting those targets. So as I say, that those targets need to be credible. You know, what you do not want to be setting is targets which that the borrower would almost certainly have met without doing anything, just on a business as usual model. You know, they, they need to be stretching the borrower in some way. And I think lastly, you know, it is just a question of thinking about the, the, the big picture. I mean, if the sustainability SPTs are met, but actually in the wider context of the, of the fund's business, sustainability doesn't really play any part or those targets are completely unrelated to, to what they're what actually the business is doing as a whole, then you've probably set the wrong targets. You know, it does need to to actually, you know, have some sort of connection with with the fund's business. So think about it on a kind of holistic basis. Don't just think about it in terms of ticking the box in, in, in a loan document. And I think it is important to, to stress that the loan markets generally are becoming much more alive and I think concerned about the issue of greenwashing. And we are starting to see additional provisions around sort of reputational and legal risk making the way into loan documentation. I mean, we've mentioned the point about the additional protection for a bank who undertakes the sustainability coordination role, but we do sometimes see additional provisions on top of that as well. So 
Occasionally, we've seen lenders seek um, provisions to deal with what are called sort of significant or severe controversy events. The idea being that if there is some sort of unexpected um, but sort of adverse um, uh, event that has a sort of sustainability impact on, on the borrower, then that has the ability to switch off the sustainability linked metrics. So it's, it's almost thinking about it like a sort of an ESG material adverse change almost. But the idea is it, it gives the lenders a, a, almost a ability to switch off the sustainability linked metrics because of some sort of wider sustainability linked concern. I mean, it's essentially an anti-embarrassment mechanic for a lender, but it does help address the risk of greenwashing. Having said that, worth saying that from a borrower's perspective, it's obviously unattractive because what it does is sort of give, give the lender a bit of a, sort of a free pass to switch off the mechanic perhaps without, you know, clear objective um, criteria. So fair to say we see them occasionally, but by all means, not in every deal. The other emerging provision that we see to address this greenwashing risk is the inclusion of so-called sort of declassification events. And the idea here is that if a loan sort of ceases to meet the criteria for a sustainability-linked loan, perhaps because the borrowers failed to bother to report or, or you know, the lender's own requirements have changed, then the declassification event kicks in and effectively the parties agree that they will collectively no longer report this or publicize this as a sustainability linked loan. And again, the, the real purpose there is really to protect the lenders from a loan being presented meeting certain criteria when actually the parties have decided that's no longer the case. So this is again, um, trying to address that, that risk of greenwashing. Thanks very much for that, Greg. Last question. What do you see on the horizon for sustainability-linked fund financing? Okay, I think from the direction of travel at the moment, it, it, it's clear we're going to see you know, continued collaboration between investors, GPs and lenders across different types of facilities, really to continue with the growth of sustainability-linked loans in this particular market. I think there's going to be a degree of increasing standardization as um, people become more familiar with, with how it works. But there is, you know, there's still a lot of potential for the, for the use of, of, of these products to grow. I think we'll see perhaps an increasing growth of actually green and the sort of use of proceeds loans in this space as well. Again, it's going to depend on, on the type of fund and depend on actually their underlying investments. But it seems to me that there's scope for that to, to develop in the fund finance space as well. You know, there's just, despite the kind of slightly, you know, recent bumps in the, in the ESG road, I think fundamentally, you know, there's still strong demand for these products, um, you know, across the board. And, and this was recognised in the publication of the, of the LMA social loan principles as well last year, which again just shows the kind of slightly ever-expanding universe of these types of product. So I think, it, you know, there's going to be some bumps along the way, but I think, um, you know, sustainability linked and green financing is, is clearly with us and certainly is going to continue to grow in the fund finance space. So that brings us to the end of our five questions on sustainability-linked fund financing. Thank you again to Joanna. Thanks, Craig. And as always, please do contact us if you'd like to know anything more about any of the issues we've raised in today's podcast. And thank you again for listening.